This message is a product of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. We thank you for engaging this conversation. Messages like this one are great resources to help us grow, but they cannot replace being a part of a local church. If you're not actively a part of a church, we encourage you to find one near you that fits you, visit it, and get involved. And we hope this message gives life to you today. Enjoy. My name's Kevin. I'm uh, one of the pastors here at Vortex. So good to have you with us this morning. We're in a series called Life and Death. And I believe that this series has been helpful. I believe it's challenged many of us. And next week, we're going to end this series with one of my friends coming, uh, one of our overseers, uh, Eric Parton, who's the pastor of Shoreline Church in Destin, Florida, is going to be here next Sunday uh, to preach. I promise you, he's one of the most creative leaders that I know. He's somebody that the more that I get to know Eric, I want to grow up and be him. I mean, he is just, he is so fun, so life-giving, so generous. He, he's, I promise you that we're all going to walk out of here challenged next week. Don't miss it. Eric's going to be here. And then we kick off the very next week, Christmas. Y'all believe we're just two weeks away from being in our Christmas series. And this year, Christmas, uh, we're calling it an uncomfortable Christmas. Because I believe that when you look at the story of Christmas, everything about it is uncomfortable uncomfortable. And for some of us, Christmas is uncomfortable too. But here's the thing about being uncomfortable. Greatness is rarely born out of comfort. It's often born out of discomfort. And I believe that as we look at this throughout the month of December, God's going to challenge us and really help reframe what Christmas is all about. In just a few days, we're going to announce uh, Vintage. And so uh, if you haven't been around, Vintage Christmas is a, a, a program that we put on every Christmas. And we're going to uh, give you an opportunity to go get your free tickets for that as we kind of unveil that in the next few weeks. So a lot of good stuff coming up for us. Now today, as we kind of continue in this series. I want to share a story. Back in ancient Rome, one of the most prolific crafts was being a sculptor. As a matter of fact, it would be probably one of the markets that became highly saturated with artisans. And because it was so saturated, many of the people who are working as sculptors in ancient Rome were not very gifted. They were, they were kind of doing it because there was such a high demand for that. And so in, in a way to cover up the flaws of their art, when they were delivering a sculpture... Many of the sculptors, if they were not very gifted, they would take wax and they would melt it and they would apply it to the sculpture to hide the defects. And in doing so, when they delivered it, the, it would be very difficult to spot the wax with the marble that was being delivered. Now, as this became a popular mode of delivery, uh, many of the really gifted artisans began to inscribe on their sculptures the words sinicera. In Greek, that means without wax. It was a statement that this is something that I'm giving you, and I'm not covering up any of the flaws. Now, I just want to talk about this moment and where we are culturally. Many of us walk into church, and we feel the need to cover up our flaws. To come in and put on a mask and pretend like everything's okay. To try to hide the flaws that may be very present in your life today. Some of us 
are going through some financial trouble. Some of us are having some relationship strife that we're walking through. Some of us have had diagnosis or family members have received a diagnosis recently. I just want you to understand that it, it, when we come in, we don't have to deny what the backstory is for this moment. As a matter of fact, I would say Vortex is a place where you can come here as you are. You, you can come as you are. You can come with your flaws. You can come and be a part of us with, with all the, the litany of brokenness that might come from your past. But I also want you to understand this about who we are. While we are a community that is going to accept you as you are, we are also a community that will not leave you where you are. Love will not leave you where you are. Love isn't going to say, hey, you're broken and that's okay. No, love is going to say, you're broken, but Jesus paid the price for us to be healed and whole. And I'm not going to leave you in your brokenness. I'm going to carry you a little bit further towards help and healing. That's what this moment is all about. And because that's the kind of place that you find yourself this morning, we are the church that's going to have hard conversations. We're going to talk about things that might be a little uncomfortable. Some of us need to talk about relationships, and we need to talk marriage, and we need to talk finances. And we need to talk about those things because they're things that are messing with our lives. They're messing with our lives. In 2017, the Ramsey uh, group so, uh, kind of uh, put forth a study and, and what they found is that there's a, a big problem in relationships, especially marriages, when it comes to money. They found that two-thirds of all the people that were getting married within their study, the, the newlyweds, two-thirds of them walked into marriage with debt. Out of those that were surveyed, one-third of the people said that there was significant financial strife between them and their partner, so much so that they hid purchases from their spouse. Now, I know nobody in this room has ever experienced that because none of us have ever tried to get home early and beat our spouse to find that Amazon box and get it inside before we're discovered. I know none of us have ever done that. They found that the more debt that a family was carrying, the greater the conflict around money. That two-thirds of the people who were interviewed said that their personal finances were causing significant anxiety. So much so that we know that the second leading cause that is stated for divorce is financial problems. The way that we deal with money is wrecking relationships, specifically marriages. So why wouldn't we talk about it? As a matter of fact, I think we need to. In, in the study, what's, what's so interesting is that, that you can read the study and also kind of see this, that if you want to have a great relationship, we could make it as simple as just saying, hey, if you want a better marriage, get better with money. Because here's what they found in this Ramsey Solutions study from 2017. Those who self-identified as having great marriages said these three things. Number one, they discussed their financial futures and dreams with their spouses. 
This is where we want to be in 10 years, in 20 years. Do you want to retire early? Do we want to do do some things like, do we we want a beach house? Do we want a mountain home? What do we want? What are our dreams? Do we want our kids to go to school and not be in debt when they get out of college? What are the dreams that we have financially for the future? The second thing is that they had financial discussions at least once a week. If you're taking notes today, these are not in your notes, but these are three practical things that you can walk out of here today and do if you're married that are going to help set you up for success. Have financial discussions at least once a week. Here's the thing. You can have financial goals, but you're not working on it. You're not working. Okay, what you're doing is not working if you're not talking about it. And so we need to have conversation. They had financial. It was, hey, you know what? How are we doing? I think we spent too much here. Okay, well, we need to cut back over here. And they're having those conversations throughout the week. Then number three, they work together. They work together to achieve long-term goals with money. They work together. Now, this is hard because some of you are spenders and some of you are savers. How many of y'all have experienced that tension in your marriage? All right? One of you wants to save. One of you just wants a lot of stuff, okay? That's okay. We're going to talk about both of you today. But here's the thing. You got to work together if it's going to work. You got to work together if it's going to work. If you're the saver, you'd probably never have any fun if it wasn't for your spouse. Be thankful, Okay? If you're the spender, you'd probably always be broke if it wasn't for your spouse. Be thankful. Okay, we got to work together. we got to work together. So think about this. I want you to think about this. I, I read this quote this week, and I kind of adapted it for this message. That you can design the future you want to live in, or you'll drift to a destination that you wouldn't have chosen for yourself. You can design. See, the thing is, is that we can have a plan. We can say, you know what, this is what I want. These are our dreams. These are what I want. And and when, when we get to the end of our race, this is what I would love for our future to look like. But if you don't work on that, if you don't work to live in that design, you're gonna drift. You're going to drift to a destination you never would have chose for yourself. Everybody listen to me for a moment. Nobody says when they get married, I want to get divorced because we can't handle money. Nobody says that. But there are a lot of people that drift to that. There are a lot of people that end up there. Why? Because they haven't been real clear about the plan about the design. See, see, think about this with me. Until you're clear about you want what you want, you won't get it. And t- until you're clear about what you want to get in life, you're not going to get it. This is why I believe so many of us are living paycheck to paycheck. Why? Because we have no idea what we want. And anything that comes, when you don't know what you want, anything will be what you want. Until you're clear about what you want, you won't get it. So what we're going to do today is I'm going to be really practical first. We're going to talk about money in in, in the sense of just being very practical, and then we're going to just really boil it down and get to our heart and the heart issue behind it, okay? So last week I told you this. I said the first step towards growth is being faithful with what you have. The first step towards growth is being faithful with what you have. Many of us have bought into the lie that I'll be faithful when I get more. That's next step. 
I'm going to get more. If I could just get a little bit more money, then I'll live on a budget. You cannot out-earn stupidity. You can't. You will never out-earn our stupid. Here's the thing. We have to get better at dealing with money. And it takes a plan. Look at this. The wise have wealth and luxury. This is Proverbs 21. The wise have wealth and luxury, but fools spend whatever they get. Fools spend whatever they get. There is no plan. Whatever comes up this week that seems like a good thing is what I'm going to spend my money on. And that, not, not from my language, but from the scriptures, is the behavior of a fool. The, the wise have wealth and luxury. Why? Because they're willing to plan and not spend everything that they have. There's this tension in that verse, this tension between will I be the person that spends everything that I'm given or am I going to use wisdom? Am I going to use wisdom? Some of y'all are like, you know what? Like I'd love a little bit more wisdom when it comes to money. (laughs) If you saw my budget, my bank account, all of that right now, it does not look good. I need some help. Here's here's the great news today. James 1.5. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God, and he will give it to you. Stop looking for wisdom from the people that are broke. Stop looking for wisdom for the people that you think are wealthy because they have the big house and the big car, and all they really have are the big payments. Wisdom comes from God. Wisdom comes from God. And if we really want to look for wisdom, let's go all the way back to the beginning, to the garden. As a matter of fact, look at this. This is what the garden would have looked like, in, and not really literally, but in a drawing sort of way. <laughs> I want you to notice that in Genesis 2, the Bible says that God created man and then put him in the garden. The idea of garden means that there were boundaries. Many of us think of financial freedom means that, that for us, we, we can spend as much money as we want. No, that's never the case. F- financial freedom is knowing your boundaries. It's knowing, it's knowing your boundaries. And God, when he placed them into the garden, created boundaries. In Genesis 2, it says that he placed two trees in the middle, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he told them, please don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because if you eat from that, you're going to die. In essence, what God was saying is, that's mine. This tree is mine. This belongs to me. The the right to determine what is good and evil is mine. It will never be yours. And if you ever try to hijack that, the result of that is going to be death. So the garden would have looked something like this. Thousands of trees. Thousands of fruit-bearing trees. Plenty of food. But there they were. God said, don't eat from that. How many of y'all have ever, like, your mom told you, don't eat these cookies because we're going to eat them at dinner. We have guests coming over. And all of a sudden, the only thing you wanted to eat in the whole house was those cookies. Have you ever ever been there? Like, what if I told you today, you could eat any candy you wanted at all, never gain weight, except Snickers bars. 
If you eat a Snickers bar, you can gain a lot of weight. I'll tell you what, most of us would be in that candy aisle going, I'm going to get a Twix, but that Snickers looks really good. Why? Because it's just our nature. And, and so, so Adam and Eve were tempted. And if you pay attention to the temptation, Satan says to them, if you eat from that tree, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing the difference between good and evil. I'm, I want to rephrase that for you. What he said was, you will become your own God. And you will decide for yourself what is good and what is evil. See, God had already said, this is mine. This is not yours. If you take this, that's bad, and it's going to bring death. And what they do? They ate it. And it brought death into this world, broke everything that we know. But from the first week in this message series, I, I told you this. I, I said something that we need to pay attention, that the, the way that we manage what we've been given isn't just a matter of supply. It's not just about can I afford to get the groceries and pay the power bill. It's an issue of life and death. It's a matter of life and death. Obedience invites life. Disobedience invites death. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to give you three simple statements that help you think about planning, planning, planning to be a good steward of what you've been given. Number one, it's wise. Now, remember, we're talking about wisdom, right? We want wisdom here. It's wise to honor the intentions of the one who is given to you. It's wise to honor the intentions of the one who is given to you. If today, as you are walking out of church, you're walking out to your car, and you're, and, and you're walking out, and, and someone approaches you and says, hey, I've seen you here before. You seem like a really great person. First of all, thank you. I am a great person, right? Um, but then, but then, they say, "I have I have twenty thousand dollars cash. I'm gonna give it to you. Here's 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 what I'm here's what I want. I I want you to go find somebody that's in need, somebody that's in crisis, and I want you to help them. I don't care how much of the twenty thousand dollars you use." I just want you to use this money for that purpose. If there's some left over, that's fine. Use it for yourself. But this, this is why I'm, and I'm going to meet you here next week, and, and I want to hear what you did. What, what would we want to do? We'd want to honor the intention of what was given to us. Well, here, everything that, that you have in your possession was given to you. Everything. We're going to see that as we continue to look at Scripture today. But here's, here's one thing that I, that I want you to think about. Why were you given that? Were you blessed so that you can be blessed, or were you blessed so that you can be a blessing? Is what you have in your possession a statement of your worth, or is what you have in your possession a statement of the opportunity you have in life? See, I want you to think about that. Because when we examine the intention of what God has given us. God wants us to be generous and give. That's exactly who God is. And if we're going to mimic the nature of God, we're going to be givers too. And the first thing we need to do when we are blessed, when we experience increase, is we need to give first. It happened in the garden. As they returned that, they hijacked it, ruined it. 
And the first thing that you see happen after the garden is Cain and Abel who are bringing a first fruit offering to God. Abraham then begins to tithe to Melchizedek. Jacob tithes, and it begins to steamroll throughout. See, tithing is saying that, God, whenever you bless me, 10% of that returns to the church. 10%. And I'm going to do that. That's my first act. And, And without going into great detail, wherever we give first is where we're expecting the blessing to come from. Okay, because in Malachi 3, we see that if I give my 10%, God says he's going to bless my 90%, and I can do more with that 90% that's been blessed by God than I would ever do with 100% on my own. And so oftentimes, we need to realize that the intention of God is he's, it's, it's a beautiful faith interaction. God blesses you, and we go, here's 10%. God, thank you. God bless you. Here's God, I'm just returning. I just want to be faithful. I want to be faithful. If you have a, a problem with tithing, maybe, maybe you think you know, tithing is kind of Old Testament or I'm not sure that that really applies to us. If you're a Christ follower, the words in red in your scripture should matter a whole lot, okay? So when we read the Bible, we want to pay attention to that. In Matthew 23, 23, Jesus gets really plain. He says this, you should tithe, yes. You should tithe, yes. But do not neglect the more important things. Of, of, of justice and mercy. In other words, the starting point is tithing, and we're supposed to go above and beyond that, to serve in a world and give in a world so that justice and mercy are the brand of God. That's what God wants. He wants us to be faithful to the intentions. So, so imagine if you walked out the next week after you'd been given $20,000, and, and the guy comes up to you, and you're like, oh, I never thought I'd see you again. Okay, well, well, what did you do with the money I gave you? Well, um, I put it in my bank account because I never thought I'd see you again. And he goes, oh, man, that's such a shame. I have $20,000 to give you again today. But since you weren't faithful with what I asked, I'm going to find somebody else. We want to be faithful to the intentions that, of, of the giver, and that's God, and that is that we would give first. Number two, we're going to get practical about, about really creating a plan. Have a written plan that gives every dollar a job. You need to have a budget. You need to have a budget. Dave Ramsey says that the greatest wealth-building tool that you or I have is our income, not an inheritance, not an investment. It's our income. And we need to get to a point where we have a budget that gives every dollar a job, every dollar. And when people start to examine, not just on the, the, the macro level, not just the big things, but the, the micro level, how I'm spending $5. We've worked with people in financial peace who came and said, hey, you know what? I was stopping off at a, a convenience store every day on the way to work, and I was spending 10 to $12 for breakfast. And now I'm eating the exact same thing that I'm buying and having at home for $2. A swing every day of $10. See, If we're going to be generous, we need to understand that you don't get to generosity on an accident. Isaiah 32 says this. Isaiah 32, 8 says, generous people plan to do what is generous. And they stand firm in their generosity. They make a plan. They have a plan. And they live in the means and the restraints of that plan. So if you don't understand budgeting, let me just walk you through a very simple understanding of what your budget should look like. The first thing you do in your budget is you give. Give first, okay? Why do we give to God first? Because we trust God for the blessing. 
right? We give first. We start out with that baseline of 10%. Okay, I'm so thankful that there are many families in our church that have went way above 10%. That's awesome. Second thing is that you save. You save. Some of us, maybe we're not in a financial position right now to save, but Dave Ramsey said one time, he said, if your kid was sick and you knew that it cost $1,000 to buy the medicine that would cure him or he's going to die in 60 days, could you find the $1,000 in 60 days? Probably, okay? Most of us could. Why? Because it's important. And he says, you know, kick back a little bit. And, and I'll quote Dave Ramsey a lot. It's because we rest a lot on financial peace. If you're struggling financially, you don't know how to put together a budget, we have financial peace coming up in January. You can sign up at guest services. It's a life-changing resource for you and your family to help you learn a plan to manage your money so that God can see faithfulness and God is going to richly bless you as you manage what you have today. Okay, we believe that. God is so good, so faithful, and that's a great plan to understand. A safe second, then pay your bills, okay? Pay your bills. Pay your important, pay your rent first, pay the power bill first. If you can't pay the cable, cut it off, okay? Just cut it off. Don't have cable. It's okay. Some people don't have cable. And then if there's enough money left over, have a little fun. Have a little fun at the end, okay? But we don't start with having fun and give at last, all right? Give, save, pay your bills. All right. Most people who start using a budget actually feel like they've gotten a raise. Why? Because they start putting all their money to work towards their financial goals. And we need to understand that that's what sets us up. Number three, number three, set financial goals and start working on the next step of obedience. Set financial goals and start working on the next step of obedience. Some of you, the next step might be, we don't have a budget. We need one. Some of you, the next step might be, we need to start working on getting out of debt. Some of you, we don't have a a safety account, an emergency account, and we need to save some money so we stop using our credit card when something breaks. All right, some of us need to start giving. What is the next step of obedience for you? Zechariah 4.10 puts it this way. Do not despise these small beginnings for the Lord rejoices to see the what? The work begin. The work begin. This is work. This is work. But if you don't do the work, you're going to drift to a destination you never wanted to get to. So think about that. What do you want? What do you really, really want? Nobody says right now, I want to be divorced in five years because we couldn't manage our money. Nobody says that I want to lose my job because I couldn't responsibly take care of the opportunities that were there. What do you want in life? What, do you, what are your goals? What are the goals that you want to achieve? Here's what I know about goals. Every goal that we can say, maybe you, one time, not too long ago, was my goal was I, I would love to plant a life-giving church in Albemarle. But here's the thing. Our goals always connect to our ability and capacity to manage money. And so here, here's what I know, that, that if we're going to step into greater calling, we're also going to have to increase our level of obedience and management. Where, where, what kind of legacy do you want to leave? What kind of legacy? When, when life is over, what, what do you want people to say about you? What's your hope for the future? What's your greatest hope? Think about that. 
What's your hope? Because here's what happens. As we start to win with money, our hope tends to drift. And so what I want to do, I want to get real heart level as we kind of wrap this up today. And I'm going to deal with one scripture out of 1 Timothy 6. We're going to just walk through that. And I'm going to give you three points that help guard our hope from drifting. And the first one is this. Carefully guard your attitude towards money. Guard your attitude towards money. It's important, right? Because the way that we think, the Bible never says that money is evil, but it does say that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And we need to understand that our attitude towards money is important. 1 Timothy 6, 17 opens this way. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant. Not to be arrogant. Many of you are like, well, that's not me. I'm not rich. I'm not rich. Well, here's, here's what I know. If you make the average household income in Stanley County, which is around $47,000, $48,000 a year, you are in the top 0.5% of the wealth in the world, in the world. And I know many of you are way above average. Though you might not like the label, you're rich. You know how I know? Rich people do things that nobody else does. Rich people upgrade stuff. You ever notice that about rich people? Like they have a perfectly good working phone, but they go, I need another perfectly good working phone because the battery on this phone goes out in a few hours, and I need one where the battery's going to last all day. Rich people argue about what the temperature in their house should be. I know none of y'all ever get in those arguments. It should be 72. No, it should be 68. Rich, rich people will go home today, look at an HDTV that's connected to the Internet, that has ac access to something like Netflix and say, I have nothing to watch. <laughs> We're rich, okay? We're rich. And what happens is that as we start to win with money, it puts us on a path to arrogance. It puts us on a path to arrogance because, and this is hard, but I want you to listen to me. As we start to win with money, what happens is that we need other people and we need God less than we ever did before. Some of y'all can remember a time when you prayed for your next meal, and that has been a long time ago. Because why? Now you can buy your next meal. And as we begin to accumulate wealth, our perception is that we don't need God and we don't need other people the way that we used to, which is why when you're around rich people, they worry about two things a lot. Number one is the weather, and number two is politics. Why? It's real simple, because they both affect their life and they have no control over them. You can't buy your way into a sunny day tomorrow. I want you to think about this when it comes to your attitude towards money. And this is just a, a little diagnostic question. I'm going to read two perceptions over maybe, just think about the money that you currently have saved in the bank, okay? So for some of us, it's like 50 bucks. For some of us, it's a little bit more, okay? But that money that, that, that's coming from your paycheck, I want you to think about that. Is this money that you've earned 
Or is this money that you've been given? Is it money that you earned? Or is it money that you've been given? You see, I've noticed this attitude because I've, I've had friends that lost their job and they'd be like, Kevin, can you pray for me? I need a new job. And hey, yeah, man. I can't, hey, can you pray for me? It's getting kind of bad. I need a new job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd love to pray for you. Can you pray for me? It's bad. Hey, Kevin, I got a new job. Praise God. Praise God. Awesome, man. Awesome. So glad for you. Yeah, God bless me. It's such a blessing. I got a great boss. I'm making pretty good money. It's such a blessing. God has been so good. And a few weeks later, hey, man, what you doing? Hey, you know what, man? We just, I've been working so hard. I just feel like I need to do something for me. Okay, okay. Why? Because the job that we initially looked at and said, this is what you gave me, all of a sudden the resources from that are what I've earned. I've said this a lot, but I want you to listen to me carefully. There was somebody born on the same day that you were that is as intelligent as capable, as gifted as you. And they were born in a developing country where they never had the opportunities that you've had. What makes you better? The only thing that separates you and them is that you were given opportunities that they weren't. That's it. See, when I had the attitude that this is money that I earned, I get to decide what I'm going to do with what I've earned. But when I have the right attitude and I look at the resources that are in my possession, I, this is what's been given to me, then it, it provokes humility in looking into the heart of God and saying, God, whatever you want, I'll do it. Number one, watch your attitude when it comes to money. Number two, don't let money become your source of security. Don't let money become your source of security. It happens all the time. It happens all the time for us. All of a sudden, we start to win with money. And all of a sudden, I don't need other people. I don't need God as much. At least that's our perception. And then we start to push other people away. We start to distance ourselves from God. Why? We see the answer here. 1 Timothy 6, 17, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope and wealth, which is so uncertain. You see, as wealth increases, hope migrates towards our money. And we think there's something kind of inside of us that we think, you know what, I, I, that's a problem. But you know what, I got enough money to get out of that problem. That's definitely a problem. But you know what, I got enough money to get out of the problem. As wealth increases, our hope migrates to our money instead of staying where it should be. Proverbs 18.11 says this, that the wealth of the rich is their fortified city, and they imagine it a wall too high to scale. In the day that Solomon was writing this, a wall around a city prevented that city from being abused or vandalized. If you want to examine that, look at the book of Nehemiah where the wall had been destroyed and Jerusalem was in ruins because of how it had been subjugated to those forces around its city. As they built the wall, they brought security back. The wealth of the rich is their fortified city, and they imagine it a wall too high to scale. 
You see, too often we think we can earn or save our way to safety. And it's just not possible. It's just not possible. Let me ask you this question. I want you to think, just be honest in your heart today. Be honest in your heart. How much money would you need to secure your future against all negative events? How much money? I know the answer for every person in this room. I already do. It's more than you currently have. More. More than you currently have. And if we put our security in what we possess, our security is always going to be found lacking. I promise you that for many of us, this is why we struggle with anxiety and worry so much. Because we have a misplaced security. So number three, always put your hope in God. Always put your hope in God. God is the only anchor worthy of our hope. He is the only one that can deliver when those who are around us cannot. He is the one that will not fail you, will not leave you in want. He is a good, good Father. And today, maybe we need to be reminded of this encouragement that young Timothy received from his mentor, the Apostle Paul. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Leave that up there for a second. Don't put your hope in money because that's uncertain. There isn't enough money to secure you from all future negative events. But I promise you that a faith in God, it won't keep you from pain, but I promise you it's going to get you through it. It is a security that will outlast any storm that you go through. And I love it how it ends, that This is a God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Let me just say this. That doesn't mean that you get to go take everything God's blessed you with and go just have a party for yourself. The most fun you're ever going to have with money is giving it away. Enjoy means to place joy into. God provided everything that he did so that he could elevate our joy. It's all there, and we find joy in generosity and in good stewardship. We find joy in those places. But the problem is that wealth can easily become your God. It can easily replace God, that your your hope can be found in, in how much money is in the bank account. But I love this prayer from Solomon who was very wealthy in Proverbs 30, verses 8 and 9. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? That's a prayer that many of us are scared to pray. But I believe that's the kind of heart God's looking for in us. A heart that says, God, I don't ever want to get to a place where I find my hope in something else. And some of us in here, we find our hope today and our security and our safety 
in something other than God. And I want you to deal with this, especially in the confines of a financial discussion. I want you to think about this. Which question would make you more anxious right now? If it became true immediately right now, which one would provoke a higher level of anxiety? The first one, there is no God. There is no God. And the second one, that I have no money. Which, which statement scares you the most? See, the problem is, is that there's some of us in here that that immediate tension of feeling like all the money would be gone provokes a really high level of anxiety. And I just need to ask you, where's your hope? Where's your hope? You were designed to place your hope in God. To find your purpose and meaning in Him. You were designed to see the life of Jesus as a template for how your life should be lived. What kind of life do you want to live? What do you want people to say about you when you're gone? What kind of impressions do you want to have left on your children? Winston Churchill said it this way, we, we, we make a living by what we earn, but we make a life by what we give. See, at, at your funeral, nobody's going to talk about what you have. But if we live it the right way, there's going to be a lot of people talking about what we gave away. But what if all of a sudden, we started to put our hope in God, realizing that God has blessed us with everything we have right now, and he can bless us again, and we're just going to hold on to it with an open hand. I'm going to be a good manager, a good steward over it, but I'm going to look at every blessing as an opportunity to be a blessing. Every resource that's given to me, I'm going to evaluate it as an opportunity to bless others. And I promise you that when that happens, God can do so much in us. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information on our church, we encourage you to visit us online at vortexchurch.com.